0: Hey, everybody, this is John Odermatt, and I'm coming to you on a Tuesday with a little special episode for you. We have a libertarian presidential debate, a two person head to head debate with Mark Whitney and Daniel Berman. I'll introduce them in just a minute, but I wanted to uh, thank you guys uh, for supporting us and listening to this show. And I wanted to remind you that if you really do enjoy this show, uh, please consider helping us out. And go to wherever you're watching this, wherever the podcasting app is, make sure to pound that subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating and a uh, nice, kind, informative uh, review. We really would appreciate it. Hope you enjoy today's debate between Dan Bierman and Mark Whitney. This is something new we're going to be doing. This was live streamed on Facebook, and now I'm bringing it to you in podcast form here. All right. So we should be live here on Facebook with uh, two libertarian presidential candidates, Mark Whitney and Daniel Bierman. Is it Beerman or Berman? Berman.
1: I go I've by heard, Berman.
0: Yeah. I've heard both. Okay. Berman. Like Chris Berman, the uh, ESPN guy.
1: I, I don't, I, I'm not offended by, calling a beer, by being called a beer man.
0: I don't think anybody would be.
2: I certainly <laughs> wouldn't be. Isn't that a isn't that a Paps blue ribbon logo you got behind you there? Or the Alliance of Liberty also looks like it. Looks like it, it like
0: yeah, it. well don't tell Paps. we'll probably get yeah. sued for patent infringement or something yeah. ridiculous trademark infringement. But yeah. uh yeah, that's that definitely what it is, stolen from that. But uh great to have you guys here and uh, you know trying to fill the void from all the canceled conventions. I know that all you candidates have been making the rounds, doing the live debates, so hopefully uh, we'll get some people on uh, Facebook here dropping some questions in. I got some questions that I want to talk about, and we'll just go from there. So I'll do a quick uh, quick intro of uh, the two guys we have here, Mark Whitney, Mark's an entrepreneur, a uh, podcaster, spoken word artist, political satirist, comedian, and activist. He's president of the thelaw.net and uh, the former host and producer of Late Night Last Week. And Dan Berman, Dan Taxation is Theft. Berman, I should say, is an international speaker. He's a all about promoting the ideas of taxation is theft, as you can tell by his hat right there if you're watching this live video. And uh, he's all about individual freedom, all about that individual freedom is paramount to the government and that we are not government property. He's the founder of Taxation is Theft Shop and the host of Taxation is Theft Podcast. It looks like he's joining us from uh, outside somewhere in Mexico. And I think Mark, is uh, you're in California, right, Mark?
2: Yeah, I I don't have the jurisdictional protection that Dan has here. So, (laughs) uh, you know, I can be seized and carried out of here at any minute.
0: Mark, I should add, in Mark's intro, he is a convicted felon, so it could happen. Um, Not
2: just a wannabe felon like our current president, okay? I'm the real thing.
0: (laughs) So since Mark has been on uh, Lines of Liberty uh, a couple times, I'll give uh, Dan the honor of doing the uh, opening statement. Uh, I'll try to keep it around uh, two to three minutes.
1: Sure. So uh, I'm Dan, taxationist, theft, Berman. I was born in California. I identify as a Texan and I'm running my president, my campaign for president of the United States from Mexico. Um, I'm really just all about uh, freedom and voluntarism. Uh, Ultimately, uh, the government is in our way. The government, sure, it can exist, but it needs to be much smaller. It needs to not infringe on our rights every single day. Um, we have a problem now, especially with this uh, corona pandemic that we're that we find ourselves in. Call it a natural disaster. I know some people think it's a man made disaster. Um, but natural disasters are very common. and as much as we've been talking about for the past couple years that we've been we've had this amazing economy, uh, we've never looked at the foundation and because the foundation is so weak, when we have a problem like this where people are unable to work for an extended period of time, um, people are worried about. Uh, are they going to have a roof over their head in a month? Are they going to be able to feed themselves? And we need to look back at, you know, what's the American dream? What should all people really have in this country? Is it jobs? Or should we all really have a foundation of life that we know that if we lose our jobs, whether it's because of a natural disaster or an illness or, or just a downturn in the economy, that we have a safe uh, foundation for our life, we're going to have a roof over our head. We're going to be able to feed ourselves and our families, and there's not much to worry about. And that's really, um, I think, something that we need to look at very closely right now at this time. But ultimately, we need to figure out a way to do that, which is actually very simple. If you just get government out of the way, government has created the circumstance that has put us on such a, a rocky foundation um, that's, that's created this environment. And if we get rid of the taxes, we get rid of the policies, uh, the bailouts and, and the, uh, the tampering with the, with the entire economy, um, through price fixing and all these other mechanisms they use. If we get rid of all that, we'll all have so much more. We'll be able to actually start building wealth, um, that, that we've never seen before if the government stops taking it away from us. So ultimately we got to put an end to taxation. We have to put an end to the government stealing from us so that we can all have, very decent lives in this country.
0: Okay, next up, Mark Whitney. Uh, Thanks, John,
2: Dan. It's a pleasure to be here with you tonight. Uh, Folks, if uh, you're here for the first time, like we say in the comedy business, uh, my name is Mark Whitney. I am a candidate for the Libertarian Party. Uh, uh, I'm seeking the nomination of the Libertarian Party for President of the United States. I have 20 years of experience as a chief executive of a company that literally sells the law to lawyers, which has turned out to be a pretty good trick considering I'm just a high school graduate. I am an autodidact. I'm really into politics, law, and comedy. I first heard the word libertarian in 1982 when I was 22 years old, working TV in Boston. I was on the third floor uh, at the time with a a young Bill O'Reilly, who was a douchebag then. He knew what he wanted to be at a young age. And on the fifth floor was a guy named Gene Burns, who was the Libertarian Party presidential nominee in 1984. And Gene Burns was an open, openly libertarian in Boston, Massachusetts. And he started his show every day with this question, what is the nature and role of government in a free society? And ultimately, uh, and he would, he would unpack that question three hours a day, Monday through Friday. And for the next hour here, uh, Dan Taxation Theft and I And our lovely and talented host, John Odermatt, are going to be in various forms unpacking that same question, and I'm looking forward to the hour.
0: All right, so let's get started with some questions. And before I start asking questions, uh, we do have some people watching out there. So if you guys have a question you want to ask either of these gentlemen, please uh, drop a comment in the live video, and uh, I will try to ask it as long as it makes sense and is coherent. So uh, drop something there, and we'll, uh, we'll put it on the record. So let's start out with coronavirus, because nobody's talking about the coronavirus, COVID-19. Uh, we'll start with this question directed to Dan. Uh, how can a libertarian candidate use this crisis, this coronavirus crisis, to communicate to the country about the ideas of liberty and to point out government failures?
1: I think uh, that's exactly what we do. We point out government failures and we point out, um, you know, government policy has put us into this hole. Uh, like I said, people are worried about, you know, are they going to be evicted from their from their uh, apartments? Are they going to have their homes repossessed by the bank because they're not able to get to their job because of this whole lockdown that we're on? Um, we need to point that out. The, the reason we're in this position, it used to be that people would get a loan for their house and it they'd, they'd have it paid off. And five years. Government programs came in so that we could get more money so we could have nicer houses, but we're paying them off for 30 years. It's insane. All of these government policies are, are making things more difficult for us. And if we point these out, if we point out that banks are actually saying, hey, if you're late on your credit cards, we'll let it slide. But government is saying, but you got to pay your taxes on time. Um, the, the income tax they extended, but you still got to pay your property tax. You still got to pay all your sales taxes and everything else. The government is not being lenient at all. Meanwhile, they're they're happy to give out money as a stimulus package. So um, we we can really we can continue to point out that um, the FDA has prevented testing kits from from being accessible in the United States. There's a there's a potential cure that's coming out of Australia, and if that gets approved in Australia, it's going to be next to impossible to get that FDA approved in the United States unless they waive uh, FDA uh, regulations. Um, so many things that the government is doing that is making this this virus so much worse for us. And all we can do is point out every step of the way that, that every problem that we have that, uh, and everything that brought us into this position is, uh, is government trying to control things instead of allowing people to come up with solutions and allowing people to protect their own safety and, and, uh, you know, do things the right way.
0: Mark, same question to you. I've been an entrepreneur for 40 years.
2: I've owned a lot of different small businesses. I think uh, one of the things this virus advertises uh, in, in neon lights is, is how broke we are. Um, you know, a majority of Americans uh, do not have enough money to buy a set of tires. Um, I think Social Security creates a psychological problem where we think that You know, at the end of the rainbow, there's going to be this pot of gold that takes care of us in our old age. Um, Culturally, we are encouraged encouraged, uh, by the government, through the actions of the government, to buy things we don't need with money we don't have. Uh, Government is something that people learn from and look to uh, as an example. And our government costs $400 a week per household to operate but it only collects $200 per week. As president, my goal is to get it down to about a hundred bucks a week. I'm not an anarchist. I'm not running for president to overthrow the United States of America. Like some people are. Um, I talked to Adam Kokesh yesterday. He said he was technically running for president, but admitted that he's not really running for president. He says, well, if he was nominated, he wouldn't take the oath. And I said, well, then you wouldn't be the president. The vice president would have to take an oath. So, You know, the the uh, uh, the coronavirus, uh, the headline from this is it really advertises how broke, how broke we all are, how ill positioned we are as a people to uh, sustain something that might disturb normal life for 90 days. And uh, that is a combination. Well, it is basically a culture that the example of which is set by government and it's a culture that has to change. I lost everything I had in my 20s. And uh, I lost two homes, 60 acres of land. I lost my personal liberty for a period of time. And uh, uh, financial literacy became the thing that defined my family. So I think we make a mistake if we say it's 100% the government's fault. Uh, libertarians are strong believers in, uh, in individual autonomy. The, the offset of that is that we're also strong believers in individual responsibility. Uh, but certainly we have seen... You know, the, the toughest thing to watch this week, the last two weeks for me, is watching the government order small businesses to be to close. So in other words, you can't make money, but at the same time, you're still required to comply with all the things you're required to comply to as if you were making money. That is, by definition, unfair and wrong. And uh, certainly, if I was in a position of leadership at the presidential or governing level, Uh, I would not be behaving that way toward the people.
0: So follow-up question on that. You led right into it. We'll stick with Mark here. Um, Say you're president. Say that you are elected president. You beat Trump and Joe Biden, if he still stumbles his way into it somehow. And uh, you have your inauguration. And the week after the inauguration, another virus comes up. The same thing happens. What would you do sitting in that presidential chair as a libertarian, the first libertarian president, to... Help people who are, you know, can't, you know, are afraid to leave their house, or are afraid right. to go out and make a living.
2: So uh, I do a daily show on Facebook called Live at Five. I dedicated a whole episode to this, and one of the things I was asking people to imagine was I was ask, I was asking them to imagine a world without any government, in which we still had media, we still had scientists, we still had doctors and nurses. And we, we were still in receipt of this information that we have this very unusual virus happening. Uh, and I gave a personal example as someone, and, and Dan Dan had the identical job. What Dan and I share is that for the past several months in the run-up to this virus, it was literally our job to get on airplanes, hang out at airports, hang out in hotels, and, and be in close approximation. And here... And make sure we shook hands with everybody in the room. That was literally our job, was to take in their secretions. That was our job. So so keeping that in mind as a moral person, you know, one of the things, so as a moral person, I assume that I'm radioactive right now. So I make it a point not to go down to the old folks home and help them do the jigsaw puzzle, which is kind of the thing I was asking people to imagine, how would you behaving? how would you be behaving if there was no government? I'm very influenced influenced by doctors and nurses who are scared to go to work. And so I would be self-isolating. I would be doing what I'm doing now. Uh, I wouldn't need the government to tell me to do it. If I was in a position of leadership, I would be honest with people in saying, here, here are some recommendations, but I'm not gonna lie to you like Trump has been doing and like Governor Newsom has been doing and Governor como has been doing in New York. I'm not going to lie to you and say these are mandates because I don't have the authority to do that, but we're strongly recommending here based on these doctors and nurses who are afraid to go to work that this is not normal life and we all need to voluntarily make some changes.
0: Dan, you want to take that one too? Yeah, so I I think there's a lot of
1: diplomacy that could be made between, um, not between nations, but between entrepreneurs and and um, medical researchers. Um, like I said, there's, there's a company out of Australia that potentially has a cure for this and they're testing it. Um, why don't we have some sort of diplomacy from our president between that company and maybe some research companies in the United States where, okay, you didn't get to it first. Maybe they can license it and they can start producing it here and start testing it. But you've got you know, we're we're talking about a month before uh, the one in Australia has been tested by their government. And then once it comes here, even if you bypass the, the FDA regulations that are normally going to make it take several years, and you get it another couple months, if this continues on, there are people who are getting infected and dying every single day. And what the government is effectively telling them is there's a cure, but we don't know if it's going to work. So we're just going to let you die. Instead of finding out if this cure might save you, might kill you faster. We don't know, but you're going to die for sure because you're infected now and we're not even going to let you try. That's what our government's saying. And so I, I think one of the most important things is to bypass the FDA rules. We're, if we're in a state of emergency, we need to get as many fixes to market as fast as possible. And we already saw that they did this with the testing kit. Um, for a while, the testing kit was available from a company in South Carolina. Um, And it wasn't FDA approved. So the FDA was saying, no, you can't use these. And so they're sitting there checking boxes, trying to figure out how to get this FDA approved. Meanwhile, they could be actually testing people. And ultimately, the, the government came along and said, okay, we'll bypass the rules and you can take that to market, even though it's not approved yet. That's wonderful. Why did they take so long to do that? When when we talk about acting fast, that's the kind of thing we need to be doing. Instead, they acted fast and said, oh, we're going to close all the ports, close all the borders and all these other things. We're going to tell people, we're going to order people to stay at home. Um, I can tell you right now from Mexico, I just went grocery shopping this morning and, and a lot of people are worried about it. People are wearing masks. People are um, in the grocery store. They have markings on the floor to, to isolate people apart. This is not under order from the government. This is people wanting to protect themselves and protect their businesses against this, uh, this nasty virus that's going around. People do want to do the right thing. Nobody wants to get sick. And well, except uh, you know, maybe there are, are some weird people that, you know, we've seen like a guy licking all the, the the antiperspirants at the at the store. We've seen another guy coughing on the elevator buttons. But you know what? That stuff is already illegal. That is intentional harm to somebody. You could prosecute somebody under common law for that kind of stuff. Um, and and yet people are doing it anyway. So by by it's you know it's like it's like the gun ban thing you're ordering innocent people to follow a law that's going to hurt their lives. Meanwhile, the criminals aren't going to follow those laws and you're not making anybody safer because you're not actually fixing the problem. You're just holding it off as long as you possibly can. These are the we we need to get the government out of the way and allow the, the solutions to come to market. So we can actually start getting people healthy again and, and solving this problem.
2: I think I just put a, I might just put a punch or a, or a tag on what Dan said. There is a company here in San Diego yesterday, uh, which did get FDA approval for a test kit, but the, it's this handy little kit. You put a thing in and in 30 minutes, you know where they have the virus, and you can do it at home. And, uh, but the, but, but the, the, the point, uh, the point that Dan's making that I agree with really, I think, why does the FDA need to be involved at all with that kit? The, 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 the doctors and nurses and the scientists who are involved, you know, they, they, can, they can have a private way of sanctioning, of, of validating the kit that is credible. What, what a government agency brings, uh, what a government agency provides is a very expensive way to validate or make something credible. And you can certainly validate uh, things like these kits and and other items that are under the jurisdiction of the FDA, really without involving the government at all. It's just normal for the government to be involved. So if you talk about the government not being involved, you sound like some lunatic. But here we are in a situation where we would all benefit from from a situation without government involvement at all and just be able to get things done. People People will be ready to go.
1: There's, I, I also want to, um, I, I mean, I guess it's a slightly different topic, but um you know, we, so there's this whole idea of flattening the curve, right? We want to, we want to get people away from each other. They're all going to end up, the, the assumption is they're all going to end up getting infected, but if we can spread it right. out, they're not going to overcrowd the hospitals. Right. But here's the thing, by, by locking down the entire economy like that, now you have people worried about becoming homeless, losing their houses, getting evicted, not having enough food, creating panic shortages, all these other problems that you're creating and when they when they talk about flattening the curve they're not talking about making it smaller they're talking about smaller and wider like this is going to last a much longer time if they're able to flatten the curve they want it which is. means months and months and months of this which means people are going to be more likely to die because they're going to get kicked out of their homes and and risk infection they're going to run out of food they're going to be riots and panic and stealing and all this other stuff this is what the government's created by by their solution of lockdown it, it, it i don't care if it comes with good intentions it's the law of unintended consequences the government is going to screw things up more people are going to die from the lockdown than they will from the virus
0: very well yeah, the happen. idea
2: is to, the idea is to regulate the rate at which people die is really all they're doing that's that's actually that's actually the government policy and you can debate the efficacy of that but that's the policy the government has is to regulate the rate and which people are dying because there's not going to be a vaccine for a year. That's, that's everybody agrees on that. And so really what's the point of being tested anyway, there's no vaccine. It's like, if you're autistic, they don't have a pill for it. You just have to you know, have an autistic son. Then you just have to, you know, find your path.
0: Well, uh, Not to jump into the debate, but I mean, the point for me to be tested, like I would want one of those test kits you were talking about, Mark, is, uh, you know, both of my parents are at risk category over 70. And uh, yeah, I would want to take a test. I'm going to go visit them. See, I don't have it. Then I can go hang out and not have any fear there. Yeah, that's a
2: good point. That's a good point. Yeah,
0: but uh, let's let's jump in and take a uh, take a question from the audience here. We got a bunch of people on a bunch of questions. Make sure if you're watching this, to to share it around to the uh, different libertarian groups out there. Um, take a question from Andrew Dalton, and this will be uh, for Dan. Um, how do you, as a candidate, reach out to liberals, conservatives, and fringe groups like sex workers, Satanists, and communists? Got the whole range there, um, or is it worth your time to try? Uh, Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, I I think I have people in all those categories uh, supporting the campaign. Uh, Really, what I like to do is just, you know, this isn't about me. And as much as as much as I hate taxes and I want to get rid of the IRS, this isn't about me. When when I talk to people supporting the campaign, um, I really want to understand what what they're about and what their problems are. Um, And ultimately, they all come back around to the same thing. Uh, Government's in our way. Um, if you're a, if you're a Satanist, maybe they're not giving you your first amendment rights. If you're a sex worker, maybe they're throwing you in prison for operating a voluntary business. Um, if you're, if you're a communist, maybe it's a financial struggle, which was created through taxation. Um, you know, that's, that's really the, uh, that's really the way that you break through to people is, is understanding and having a conversation with them. And I think right now is, is a really good time to do that. Like, especially with what's going on with, with, I'm going to keep coming back to this, Um, the economy and how it's screwed up right now because of the coronavirus. If people had stable lives, if if we were all able to just walk out of our jobs at any point for five years and go on a vacation or whatever, this wouldn't be happening right now. We'd we'd all be able to self-quarantine and we wouldn't have problems about people worrying about getting kicked out of their homes and not having enough food. Um, This is a situation that's been created through government policy that has made housing unaffordable, that has put everybody in debt 87% 80, 87% of American households are in debt, um, the average being something like $25,000. Um, it's insane. And then everything that we earn to try to pay that off, they take half of it. So it's the government that has been forcing us into this position, and it's 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 really a shame. But this is, you know, I think everybody, all of those groups to recognize why, why they should even be interested in politics because they're being negatively impacted by government, it all comes down to the same thing. They're taking they're taking from us. They're taking away all of our, our rights and our resources and everything else.
0: You want to take a crack at that one, Mark?
1: Yeah, well, look, Dan is,
2: is great at talking about the, uh, the taxation issue. I agree with him. I mean, all look, all I do is pay taxes. It's all I do. And uh, uh, it is, uh, you know, in California, California, you know, they've got these amazing beaches out here. So that, that helps take the edge off a little bit. But here's the thing, you know, uh, everything that I look at is through the eyes of an entrepreneur. Um, One of the the main ways the IRS code uh, creates a disincentive for growth is that when you start a business and you put up your house, uh, you put up a piece of land you own to start your business, you get that business on rails. You get it so maybe it's doing a million dollars a year. And, and maybe it's throwing off $200,000 in profit, you're pretty comfortable. And you what you end up doing is you end up making a judgment. And the judgment is, do I want to continue to grow? Because there's such a disincentive to grow, not just because of the taxes you're paying, but because of the amount of bandwidth it takes to comply with all the regulations of just owning a business, not just... Uh, the tax regulations, but the very onerous uh, workers' compensation payments, all the back office staff and expenses that are incurred. So a lot of people I know who start businesses, you know, they just say, you know, I'm gonna, they make the choice, the affirmative choice to keep the business way smaller than it would otherwise be uh, because of the disincentives built into our federal and state tax codes uh, to grow. Uh, and that's, that to me is the biggest, uh, is, is the issue that always haunts me. Is My, my son uh, is, is someone who's been very successful in growing an Amazon store that went up at its peak was $15 million a year. And California literally requires you to start withholding sales tax. Once you get to like $10 million, you have to prepay your sales tax before you sell anything. So he moved his business out of state, um, and and uh, uh, also in California, they just the state just passed a law that basically makes it illegal to be an independent contractor. They want everybody to be an employee. So it's killing the gig economy. It's a huge issue here. I cannot for the life of me imagine what they were thinking about when they did that. The tax code is is this thick. Nobody knows what it says. And one of the things I've learned. Uh, as someone who, who started out very poor in life, became wealthy in my mid-20s, then had a negative net worth of a couple of million dollars as a result of bankruptcy and owing IRS a ton of money, and then now has a significant net worth, is what I've learned is you don't actually learn what the tax code says until you achieve certain levels of success. And in fact, the more successful you get uh, in terms of your your personal in some ways, the tax code becomes less burdensome. And they say, oh, you need to go talk to this guy. I remember a few years back in my business, we got to a certain level of success and our CPA says, you need to go talk to this guy. And we went to talk to this guy and he, talked, he taught us about this thing called a, divine, a defined benefits plan, where at the end of the year, you just take your profits and you deposit into a pension. You don't pay any taxes. You can invest it. You don't pay any taxes on what you make. Um, so the tax code is especially burdensome to households that are bringing in $150,000 or less. That's how it's designed to be. And uh, and that is antithetical to everything we believe as libertarians, because we believe in free markets. We believe in entrepreneurship. I like to say, this is the party of try and try again. This is the party of fail better tomorrow. We believe in the uh, personal responsibility that comes with that, but we want you to have as much uh, rope as you need to go out and fail and make it easy to to start over again. So, you know, Dan and I don't have any disagreement conceptually on the task code. It's just maybe how it affects our lives based on our personal experiences and where we might put the emphasis.
0: All right. This next question, you might have a disagreement here. I, I don't know, but this is another listener submitted question. Uh, Bruce McGee says it's nice to fantasize about entering office with a swipe of an executive order and shit canning the system. Uh, but we live in the real world, and most likely, if you did gain the presidency, you would have to contend with, with the lemming elected Nancy, Chuck, Mitch, and the other clown show, not to mention the Supreme Court and the other cast of characters. So how would you go about fashioning a transfer of ideas and policies that would eventually be adopted by our Congress and Supreme Court. Uh, Mark, you want to take first crack at this one?
2: Yeah, um, I've been talking a lot about on my show Live at Five every day since this campaign has gone digital. How as president, I will use the absolute unreviewable authority that is given by the people only to the president to declassify state secrets, to threaten the Democrats or Republicans with the declassification of their most unconstitutional behavior if they don't come to the table and treat me as an equal. You're not gonna get it by being nice to these people. You're not gonna get it by cajoling because they are gangsters. The Democratic National Committee, Republican National Committee need to be destroyed. The bones are good. I'm not a fan of overthrowing the system. That's not why I'm running for president. The Bill of Rights is terrific. The First and Second Amendment create anarchy in the United States as written in the topics covered. Uh, And I want to keep that anarchy in place uh, because I think we're fortunate to live in the only uh, nation in the world where we can go to church or be an atheist where we can uh, peacefully protest, where we can sit here and freely and without fear be critical, as critical as we want of our government. That is because we drafted the First Amendment, which I think are the most, 46 of the most perfect words ever written. So the way I would deal with these people is with a brick bat approach. I remember Henry Kissinger years ago said, and we learned this from a a tranche of uh, documents that Julian Assange dropped. He said at a chicken dinner with his fellow diplomats, uh, the illegal we do right away, the unconstitutional takes a little more time. Uh, So that is as good. And he was bragging, mind you, he was bragging. So a libertarian president, a strong libertarian president has a brick bat. And that is the declassification of state secrets and the threat of that to bring the Republicans and and Democrats to the table and negotiate in good faith.
1: Dan, you want to take a shot at it? Yeah. So uh, I think maybe the first uh, important thing to point out is. A lot of these other presidents come in like, hey, we're going to create this new program and we're going to do these amazing things. We're going to everything's, you know, they they come up with these things that they're going to do that they don't have the power or authority to do. And that's where they require the help from Congress. When you have some of the things that I'm talking about, you don't need Congress um, to do them. This is this is where you have. I'm not I'm not trying to give more power to the federal government. I'm trying to give it less power. I'm trying to make it do less things, fewer things. Um, and the, the president absolutely has the authority to do that. Now, of course, you know, there's the question of, okay, but are they going to try to impeach you? You're going to have like all these, all these crazy statists in, in the house and the Senate and everything that are, that aren't going to like you. Well, think about this. Do you think everybody who's in Congress and the Senate right now are going to get reelected the same year that a libertarian presidential candidate gets elected to the white house? I don't think so, because in order for a presidential candidate to get elected to the White House, a lot of things are going to have to change in the way people perceive and understand the purpose of government. And when that changes, they're not going to be reelecting all these other people. So this is why, um, you know, we we have kind of a, a culture shift that we're going for. Um, if, you know, the government that we have today is the result of what people want. People want the government to come in. Big daddy, fix all my problems for me. That's what they want. And if we can change that perception so that people see, no, government trying to fix these problems is what has created so many more problems. Let's get rid of the cause of those problems, which is all of these government programs. Then they start to wake up and say, yeah, let's start getting rid of these programs. And that changes how people perceive government and what they want from government. And that changes everything. That means we're getting a, pres- a, a, a libertarian president elected. That means we're getting libertarians into the Senate um, and the House. And it also means that we're getting maybe the the uh, the more moderate uh, Republicans and Democrats into the House that are under the pressure of the American people saying, yeah, okay, we get it. You guys hate that program. We're going to get rid of it. Um, and the people ultimately have the most um, – Force to pressure on government. Um, we can, you know, you can try to blackmail a couple senators, but um, you know, how far is that really going to get you? When it's, I, I don't know. Um, but I think when we have a majority of the people and their support, in reducing the size and scope of government, that's really, that's really where we come and pressure everybody else.
2: Yeah, well, it's not blackmail. It's the absolute authority that presidents have given to them by the people, presidents take an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. So it's not blackmail to, re, to reveal unconstitutional behavior. That's how we the people exercise our discretion to have this, to have self-government, to have self-determination, ultimately to have self, self-respect. So it's not blackmail. It's a proper use of the office. It's a check Why on the criminal release it? Congress.
1: huh? Why wouldn't you just release it then?
2: because you because the because you can make a decision to release things or not release them if you if you have if you have uh, uh, something to use as a hammer to get something better then you can make that judgment right you can make that judgment and say well I've got I've got a story here that says Chuck Sumer has a relationship with an eight-year-old girl going you know that's wrong that's an abuse of his of his oath of office, that's an abuse of his position of trust, I could release that information or I could use that to threaten Chuck Schumer to get behind repealing the 16th amendment, Dan, taxation is theft. So that's how I would use that authority.
1: But if it's, well... OK, so two things. If the people at large do not support repealing that amendment, then that that is not going to do too much. But at the same time, if you do that, you're ultimately saying, OK, this guy, I know he's a sick pedophile, but because I got my tax law fixed, I'm going to I'm going to let him walk.
2: Yeah, I'm giving you a hypothetical in which uh, in which you can make a judgment uh, for a greater good. You, you, there is no there's no situation in life where anybody gets everything they want. And uh, one of the mistakes we make, and I think the Libertarian Party has a forty-eight year history to prove this, is uh, is we, we so other people have said, oh, if you discover all these state secrets, why not just dump them all at once? Well, if there are some secrets that you can trade to improve and strengthen the bones, improve the Bill of Rights, which has been undermined by these criminals, uh, then then, then uh, you you ha- you make those judgments one one case at a time, Um, and I'm one of these people that is just wired to want to fight with these criminals. These are not nice people. These are people who are part of a criminal organization. Our government is run by criminal organizations, the Republican and Democratic National Committees. They're not nice people. They are mobsters. They They use the tools of death and destruction to get their way, and what I'm talking about by comparison is very gentle.
0: Uh, question here. So we got a, a, a listener question from Joe Green. And first I want to ask for a confirmation uh, from Dan on this. So Joe says, Puerto Rican national debt is now approximately $74 billion and they cannot file for bankruptcy. How would you erase its debt? Now, Joe says that Dan's position is he'll use a paper shredder. Is is that correct, Dan? Can you expand I, on that? I think I might've said that. Um, Yeah, look, a, a lot of
1: our debt is, um, is owed to the Federal Reserve. We get rid of the Federal Reserve, that debt goes away. Um, when you talk, I mean, you, you look at this system, right? Um, this is probably a good analogy for it. Everybody's got a smartphone in their pocket. Why? Because smartphone manufacturers said, hey, I came up with this amazing new thing. If we can get one of these in the pockets of every single person on the entire planet, we will make a ton of money. And so they did that. They figured out how to mass produce them. They figured out how to mark them, how to get one into everybody's pocket. Now everybody has one. Banks have a product that is debt. And banks say, hey, if we can get debt in the pocket of every single person in this, in this country, in this world, in, in Puerto Rico, um, if we can get governments to buy this product from us, we will make a lot of money. And the governments have, you know, through bribing politicians and everything else, they've created special policies that make it very, um, lucrative for people to borrow money from banks. And they've in fact altered the system and provided special protections to these banks so that they don't collapse. There's bailouts and all these other things, even, even outside of the bailouts. I mean, the FDIC is technically, uh, an ongoing bailout program. Um, They've created this system so that they could sell this product to us and we have bought it. We need to stop buying that and we need to start returning it. And that's what a lot of this is. A lot of this debt is created out of thin air and we need to figure out a way to just nullify the debt in a way that is, is not going to tank the money supply and whatever that takes that might take offsetting inflation and deflation with, with actual creation or destruction of, um, of, of, fiat money. To keep, that, to keep the value of the dollar at the same place, but you're eliminating all of the virtual dollars, the, this virtual debt at the same time. And so you can do this on a massive scale and you can get rid of this debt because ultimately, who is this money owed to and what did those people give to us that gave us the actual value um, that that they created in the first place, or did they just create it from nothing? If they created it from nothing, they are suffering absolutely no loss if we just refuse to pay them.
0: So Mark, same question to you. Puerto Rico, $74 billion in debt, can't file for bankruptcy. What do you do?
2: Yeah, I am incompetent to speak specifically to the issue of Puerto Rico. I'm highly competent to speak to the issue of what happens when uh, certain organizations or, or, or in this case, the, the, the questioner is saying that Puerto Rico's debt is exempt from bankruptcy. So what is it we all know about what happens when a certain debt is exempt from bankruptcy? And I'm going to just pivot to student loans. Title 11, Section 2527A8 of the Bankruptcy Code makes student loans non-dischargeable. It is easier to discharge taxes. Taxes more than three years old are dischargeable in bankruptcy. As a result of people not being able to, the, the glue that makes predatory student lending possible and the and the the, the foundation upon which uh, the uh, uh, exponential growth of tuition and cost of college that foundation rests on the fact that these student loans are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. If they were dischargeable. The student loan system we have would cease to exist. It only exists because these loans are exempt from bankruptcy and they stay with you until the grave and the lenders know that at some point they're going to collect and they're going to use the enforcement mechanisms of the Internal Revenue Service to do it. This is private banks loaning money to students, debts that are paid off over 30 years like mortgages backed by no collateral, backed only by the signature but used with the guns of IRS to enforce collection. And, and the people who benefit, my wife just went to law school and uh, she was able to go to a $50,000 a year law school for $10,000 a year because her test scores were so high. We could have paid the 50,000 the people who can't pay the 50000 are people being admitted to these law schools who have no business being there. And the only reason they're admitted is because they are a conduit through which these predatory loans flow. And the people who live off these predatory loans are the Harvard and Yale teachers at the law school. It's awful. It's horrendous. And that's something I am competent to speak to. And so we, we just know from that conversation that what Puerto Rico is dealing with is an identical situation with a lot more zeros. Why can't Puerto Rico file bankruptcy? That's the question. And I'm going to find out the answer to that later. (laughs) That's
0: that's a good question. All right. So I'm going to come back to some more listener questions, but I want to get to these uh, because I don't want to run out of time and not get to ask them um, because I think this next one is really important. You know, In 2016, Gary Johnson got like I think four and a half million votes, something like that. What I'm worried about is in this election with uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, whoever the Democrats put put up, it's another sort of, you know, lesser of two evils, people. It's the biggest election of our lives, especially with this coronavirus. So how do you stand out? And we'll start with Mark on this one. How do you stand out and elevate uh, the message of liberty to actually even get noticed and to, I'm not, I mean, not just meet the same level of votes as Gary Johnson. How about blow that uh, level of votes out of the water?
2: Well, there there's, I, uh, the way I answer that question today is different than I would have answered it uh, in a pre-coronavirus world. So here are some, here are some challenges we have right now as libertarians. Joe Biden has the same challenge. New York times the other day was saying Joe Biden can't get any traction because everything is coronavirus. It's very hard for me as a libertarian to get interviews right now because ever the people only want to talk to scientists and doctors. Uh, that was not the case two weeks ago. The Libertarian Party this year is probably not going to be on the ballot in all fifty states. It's probably going to be on the ballot in thirty-five to forty states because we can't get signatures. Uh, fundraising is probably going to be crippled because of the economic devastation, together with the fact that we're not going to probably not going to be on the ballot in all fifty states. So there are a lot of challenges uh, that uh, that face us as a Libertarian nominee. I'm making the argument that I should be the nominee because I have the best production facilities, the best studio to carry forth. I'm also going to file my quarterly uh, Federal Election Commission report, which is going to show somewhere between $90,000 and $100,000 on hand. So I can carry the torch of liberty and freedom as the nominee in a way probably The other candidates can't. I could put more in if I needed to. Um, And uh, there will be money that comes in. What I've said is that based on what Mike Bloomberg just taught us, Mike Bloomberg just spent $500 billion to get eight delegates. So what we learned from Mike Bloomberg is that advertising doesn't work. So if I was the nominee and I was to have my original plan of uh, being on the debate stage with Donald Trump because we're on all 50 states and we've got a legal argument there to make. That argument goes out the window if we're not on, in all 50 states. I go on a late night, I get America all excited about my stand-up comedy. I host SNL, getting lots of immediate attention. And let's say 10 times the money comes in. Let's say $100 million comes in. I've said whatever comes in, very little should be used on advertisers, should be used to uh, support and grow the party, train an activist, an army of activists and candidates to get them trained, to get them uh, uh, more comfortable on their feet, to support governors, uh, people running for Senate, U.S. Senate, U.S. House of Representatives. I said, if I'm the nominee, my campaign stops will be determined uh, on where the best libertarian candidates are. They'll go out there. I'll get up on my feet. I'll get people excited about these candidates. Uh, So that is the job of this of this party's nominee. In my opinion, what we do every four years as a party is we have a very well orchestrated publicity stunt. It's, I think there's a non-zero chance I could be the president, but there's a hundred percent chance that these down ticket uh, candidates need support. That's where the money should go. It shouldn't be used for advertising. And that's my plan as, as the nominee is to do those things, regardless of whether it's in a uh, Corona world or a post Corona world.
0: Dan, what, what would you do to, to get attention and grab the spotlight? <laughs> so I,
1: I think there's a, there's a lot of different ways and, I think um, I think you're wrong about advertising. I think advertising is uh, very important. Um, I do think it's not the only component, but it is going to be a huge factor in this. And, you know, we're talking about building a brand here. Um, Ultimately, the Libertarian Party is a brand and it has no brand recognition because, of course, the, the Democrats and Republicans are billion dollar brands and we don't have a billion dollars. And the reason we don't have a billion dollars is because we don't have any special favors to sell once we start getting elected. So, um, so there, there is a hurdle with that, but at the same time, you know, you, you talk about, um, about, uh, engaging activists and, and, and growing in the party that happens naturally when you create a brand. I mean, look at how many brand fanatics you have with, with Nike and Apple and Coca-Cola and, you know, uh, uh, what's the, what's the, the, the game with the, we have to go around collecting the balls. Um, like there's there's all these things that people turn into uh fanatics over, right? Pokémon, the Pokémon thing, right? Yeah. Um <laughs> so um It's you know, this these are things that like if you create something that people really like and resonate with, they'll come around in droves to support it. And when we get people to understand, uh, you know, this is this is what's worked so well with my message. When I get my message in front of people, whether they're left or right, whether Democrats or Republicans, they see this and they understand that this is a benefit for them. And they understand that this is going to to improve their lives so much, no matter what they want. It's good for everybody. And when they see that and recognize that, that's when they become fanatics and they want to help and they want to support the cause. Now, what, you know, what what the strategy has been is to try to say, OK, we're going to have a presidential candidate who's going to attract all this attention and build a brand. But then somehow support uh, down ballot candidates without actually um, branding with them together. If we want that to work, we have to create this as a brand where this this brand identity is shared between everybody. And that comes with branding the Libertarian Party itself and the, the Libertarian brand and the Libertarian logo. It, it comes from the presidential candidate appearing places with all of the cross-ballot candidates, um, including on their own websites, including in debates and conversations, like on my podcast where I have all of my... We have a, we have a SWAT team, which is all of our cross ballot candidates who are, um, who are running for, uh, different offices across the country. I've got a podcast with a, with a pretty decent for a libertarian size reach. And we're getting these people on, we're getting them heard and we're creating this, this coalition. Um, and that's, that's really what that is. But this all comes down to how do you get more people to watch it? And it all comes down to branding and advertising. Cause ultimately if we could just walk onto CNN and say, Hey, um, let's, let's, associate with the big news media outlets and then we that's that's valuable advertising getting on a debate stage getting on cnn fox news i don't care what anybody says that's advertising even though you're not you might not be paying for it that's advertising and a lot of them are not going to give that to us for free unless we really really fight for it and really do something outrageous that that um, the public wants to see, and then those studios will, will recognize. Okay, the public wants this. Let's show it to them. That's really what this takes. When people talk about it, CNN doesn't want to interview the libertarians, that's because we don't have enough. Um, we don't have enough fan base for them. CNN doesn't want to talk about something that nobody wants to hear about. So we need to create our grassroots movement. We need to build our movement, and then these other um, big outlets will come and give us the free advertising. But we have to start um at a small level with seeding by seeding our own advertising and creating these brands. And when the libertarian brand is big enough that someone can say, "Hey, I'm running as a libertarian and everybody knows, oh, libertarian, I like that," which is exactly what happens with the Democrats. You have one guy saying, "I'm running as a Democrat." There are there are millions of voters, tens of millions of voters that will look at that person and say, "I don't know what that person stands for, but he's a Democrat, so I'm voting for him." Until the libertarian party is that for a huge number of people, We need to spend a lot of money on advertising and branding. And that's that's it. Yeah, so I disagree.
2: I think advertising doesn't work. I think there's a difference between publicity and advertising. CNN is publicity advertising. You know, the Democrats just spent uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to not get on the ballot. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars to not be the nominee. Mike Bloomberg just spent a half a billion dollars to not be the nominee. Advertising doesn't work. If you have a great story like I have, uh, my libertarian life story is outstanding. And, and if you have a great story, the press, the major press will cover that because the journalists are thinking about Pulitzer Prize. I know this. I've worked in three TV stations, three radio stations, all newsrooms. I know how they think. The question delegates have to ask this year is, is who do you trust? Who do you trust? The certified pre-owned Republicans that they have nominated have laundered the money that they've received. I've read all 227 pages of the Federal Election Commission rules and regulations, and it did not come as a surprise to me that the system of money laundering that the Democrat and Republican mobsters have designed for themselves is very porous. So delegates have to ask ask themselves, who do you trust? Okay, I don't need the money. I don't want the money. Uh, Gary Johnson laundered the money. That money did not go to benefit the party. The money should be. I have a. I have a lawyer in D.C. on a small retainer right now, who will show me how to make this money work for the party, so that so that so that it can be used to multi. Not so people can become the next Mark Whitney or the next Dan Berman, but that John. So that if you decide to run for U.S. Senate you can be the next best version of John Odermatt. We need to have these processes in place. This party is, to, to the majority of Americans, this party is politically irrelevant. We have people running for president in this party right now that are running on the, on the argument that as president, they're going to dissolve the United States of America. That might work in your libertarian bubble, that is not a politically viable platform to be running for president of the United States on. That's a platform for getting people together and and, and seizing on the language and the declaration of independence to say, Hey, this government is bullshit. We need to get, throw it out and start over again. That's an argument, but that's not an argument for a presidential candidate to make. And it makes a fool of this party to make such frivolous arguments. It's nonsense.
0: So to, uh, Another listener question here to kind of dig into, I know we've talked a lot about taxes. I know you both hate taxes, but if there's anyone out there who's not a libertarian watching this, I'm sure there are some. Question, this is from Nicholas Hicks. I'm all for getting rid of taxes. However, how do you both plan on paying for things like civil services and other things like roads and highways? Very common question for libertarians, but you can never answer it uh, often enough. So we'll start with uh, Dan here.
1: All right. Uh, this is this is a question I hear quite often. If you believe it, um, so roads. There's a million different roads. They're all built for a million different purposes. If Walmart wants to build the new Walmart, usually what happens is they're not. Gonna, they know they're not going to have any customers if they don't have a road or a parking lot, for that matter. So they build the parking lot and they pay for that. But they want the road there, so but they don't want to pay for the road and the government will happily pay for it for them. So they go to the government and say, Hey, build a road for me. The government does it with your money. Um, every road that's built is built for a purpose for somebody who's already investing a lot of money in building something else and they need a road to it. Um, when you consider this, just stop giving people free roads, make them pay for their own roads. Walmart is not going to have a toll road and make people pay to get to the Walmart, they want you to get to the Walmart for free so you can pay when you're in there. It's the same reason Starbucks gives you free Wi-Fi because they'll sell more coffee if there's free Wi-Fi. Um, there's so many different ways to look at this. Um, there's, there's, uh, there's revenue schemes from uh, from roads themselves. If you have a very long stretch of road, and that is is owned by the government or privately held, um, you, can have, you can have a monopoly on the gas stations on that road. You might not have a monopoly on the road because there might be an alternate route. So you still got to compete. You're still going to have lower prices. But these are, these are all kinds of different ways we can look at this. The, the most interesting thing is that um, you know, these are just a few solutions. These, not, these might not be the, These aren't the only solutions. They might not be the best solutions. But the thing is, if every time we think about roads, we say, let's just steal it from the American public and we'll build whatever roads we need, we're never going to stop and think, okay, what way can we possibly fund these roads without stealing from people? We just don't ask ourselves that question. So the most important thing we can do is to start asking that question. And that's, that's a, a huge part of this campaign is just to get that conversation going. Um, you've got so many other, uh, you know, a lot of people think, okay, if you get rid of all the taxes, the government's not going to have any money. That's not true. The government has plenty of revenue streams. Um, it's got courts that charge fees to use them. It's got, um, uh, it's got the post office, which charges money to use it. And of course it's being run very inefficiently right now. Why? Because if they don't balance their books, guess what? The taxpayer just comes along and says, here, here's some more money for you. If you take that away and you force them to balance their budget, they will, they have in the past, they can do it. Um, so the, the government sells bonds for bigger projects that it wants to create. It's got parks that it charges you to enter. It has toll roads already where it raises money to fund the, the construction of more or, or the repair of certain roads. Um, they have so many different revenue streams that are voluntary. We just want to get rid of the involuntary ones, the ones that say, oh, well, you need a job to stay alive, but we're going to steal money from you just for having that job. That's not voluntary. That's not consensual. Those are the types of things that need to stop.
0: Mark?
2: All right. So I want to first burnish my radical credentials here. I've talked about cutting the government by 75%, that it costs 400 bucks a week per household. To operate it, the government only collects 200 I want to get it down to 100 I favor repeal of the 16th Amendment, which is the amendment that gives the government the, the, uh, the basis for the IRS to exist. So I'm for banning it. I favor a use tax to get my $100 a week to fund the government. Okay, so having burned my radical credentials, let me just say something that is 100% true. Uh, The roads are built by the private sector. They're not built by the government. They're funded by the government. They're probably more expensive because of that. But I have never seen, Dan, a road built that goes just to Walmart. There is no such road. There's no road built that goes just to Walmart. The road goes to many other places besides just Walmart. So nobody builds roads just for Walmart. Yes, taxation is theft, but you don't finish the thought. Taxation is theft made legal. We, the people, elect people to go to Congress who vote our proxies that put these laws in place. And ultimately, the reason we have IRS, the reason we have TSA, the reason we have these alphabet soup agencies that are that to libertarians are so egregious and should be disbanded, the reason we have these things is because ultimately the people are okay with it. They haven't reached a level of pain where they feel they want to do anything about it. And it's our job as libertarians to make credible arguments, not to make specious arguments that people are building roads only that go to a single Walmart. That's more nonsense. That's why we can't elect people making nonsensical statements like that.
1: That's uh, that's a simplification, but I mean, uh, yeah, you're right. More a lot of roads go to more than one place roads um, are built so by the private people,
2: sector roads are uh, private sector construction companies build the roads. They're not government. The, the roads are policed by the government. Right, But you still have the question the of
1: of if you've got five businesses that need one road built, how do they split that? And right now it's they give the money to government. Government says we'll build the road. We're going to rob you to pay for it. And and it and actually they put it on the consumer because they put okay, it in the gas is, tax.
0: But wouldn't
2: you, wouldn't you agree? It's oversimplification to use the word robbery. These laws don't come from these laws no. don't come from the, the people that we elect to Congress to represent us. We don't, we don't have representation in Congress because Congress has, co- has collapsed itself into the executive branch. I did a speech in Kentucky about Mitch McConnell where I pointed out that Mitch McConnell, more than any other human being in this country, has figured out and institutionalized the concept that if Congress delegates all of its authority to the executive branch and never makes a political decision, that it is easier for incumbents to get reelected. And that's why my focus is on the Democrats and Republicans. My focus is not on cliches that, that uh, taxation is theft because taxation is theft made legal. The IRS is legal. The Sixteenth Amendment exists. I think it's a bad thing that it exists. I'm against it, but I think we need to operate in reality when we speak and not push people away. How, did, you just vote, did you vote on the Sixteenth Amendment? What's
1: did, you that? Vote for, I'm sorry. did you vote for the Sixteenth Amendment to be passed?
2: I voted. Uh, the people, the people created the Constitution.
1: The Constitution. Is I didn't authority. sign the Constitution. I didn't create it.
2: So, are you for anarchy, Dan?
1: Uh, to yes a no. certain degree, so okay. to a certain degree, but so are you're you. Irrelevant.
2: You're you're, you're wait, now. Wait, wait, wait.
1: didn't you say you liked the anarchy that was the First and Second Amendment?
2: Exactly. Because the second so, amendment, so you're an
1: anarchist,
2: the second amendment amendment commands me to def- if you're the only person in this country who wants to have a house full of guns, the second amendment commands me as president to defend you. If all 300 of your, 3 million of your fellow citizens are against you. I like that anarchy. I like the anarchy in the first amendment. But when people talk about overthrowing the United States, they're talking
1: about repealing the
2: Second Amendment, repealing. I'm not talking about
1: overthrowing the United States. I'm not talking about that kind of anarchy. Anarchy is no government. Well, but you said there's anarchy in the First and Second Amendment, which is government. So you agree that there is some sort of anarchy that can't exist with government.
2: so, So so people say you don't get your rights from a piece of paper. That's true. But that piece of paper commands me as president to secure that right for you. So if I surround your house by the feds because you have a house full of guns is to keep the 300 million citizens away. that want to kill you because they're against you that I, I approve of that.
1: Uh, well, uh, unless those people are there because of some red flag law and they're there to violate my Second Amendment right. Yeah, but- those are
2: unconstitutional. And the reason we have those is because we have Democrats and Republicans who have bastardized the Constitution. And that's why I Absolutely. want to be a libertarian
1: president who reinstates and strengthens the Bill of Rights. Absolutely. And somebody who's going to respect what? Property rights? Property and, rights and, are secured by the Fifth Amendment. Okay. And, and the Supreme Court has ruled that your labor is your property, haven't they?
2: I don't know if they've actually said it that way.
1: That your money is your property, your that money you have is an inalienable yes. right to contract which means to trade your property for somebody else. So if if my labor is my property and my money is, and your money is your property, I should be able to trade my labor for your money without any infringement from the government, constitutionally. Well, the 16th Amendment disagrees with you. It does. And that was
2: created by... And I said I would like to see it repealed. I'm just merely stating... That it disagrees with you. I disagree with the seventeenth amendment too, which has senators elected directly by the people. I think they should be elected by the state legislature because that enhances state sovereignty.
1: But these amendments exist, and
2: right? They can and be as repe- you said, and they can be repealed.
1: Is taxation is theft, legalized, which is absolutely true. Yes. But whether yeah. it's legalized or not, it's still theft. And if we don't recognize it as theft, if we, if we re- Recognize it as well. That's just the law that forces us to accept the government's authority for right. passing unconstitutional laws because that's just the law. We right, as, I we agree. As,
2: so I didn't. I didn't say it's just the law. I said that I disagree with the Sixteenth Amendment that makes it possible. I'd like to see it but repealed. But that's the mentality would,
1: that people have, and we need to help I them overcome that. that. I agree
0: with that. Where can I buy my taxation is theft made legal hat? Is that, <laughs> 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 yeah, no, but, but Dan
2: is right. Dan is right to the extent that when you say something is illegal, that has a tremendous psychological effect on people. I mean, some of the greatest we've, we've seen in the last 20 years of aggressive war that this country has perpetrated on countries that have never attacked us. We've seen uh, so all of these horrors done uh, under the umbrella of, of legality. And uh, and it's false legality. But when you tell somebody it's legal, that has a tremendous psychological effect. I agree, agree with Dan on that. It's just the law. A lot of people hear it's just the law and they throw up their arms and go away. And that and that is one of the things that unites all libertarians. We don't we don't go away. We stand, we fight and we try to make changes. And I just want to see us make better arguments so that we don't push people away.
0: So we're we're five minutes over. Can you guys do one more question? Sure. Yep. All right. So this is a question that uh, that I like to ask because I think every presidential candidate should be asked this question. Are We've you worried about pants it right now? <laughs> We've talked about it at Lions of Liberty quite a bit. Um, we call it the uh, the Jenga question. You guys are familiar with the game of Jenga? You stack the blocks up. You try to take the different blocks out without the tower falling over. So. If you're elected president, libertarian president, you don't want to play Jenga. You don't want to knock over the government right away and have a have a revolt in the streets, and you'll be, you know, hung in the, hung in front of the White House or something. So, what Jenga piece? What uh, you know policy? What uh, agency? What what a uh, you know massive change could you make that would maximize the most amount of liberty, but also the whole house of cards. Were not come down, and you could still have time to you know persuade and influence and get people to come around to the uh, the rest of the uh the platform. So we'll start with uh, I forget where we are, but we'll go back to Dan.
1: So, um, oh man, there's so many. Uh, the DEA can go away. Um, hey, that's a good slogan. Uh, the, the Department of Education, uh, we could when we shut down the Federal Reserve, we could remove all the Federal Reserve notes and replace them with Treasury notes. Um, there's, there's so many, um, there's so many opportunities, but the reality is like whenever we see the government shut down, we come to the realization that most of these agencies are so absolutely useless that we could get rid of them completely. And nobody would even notice. You wouldn't even have to tell anyone you're doing it and nobody would notice. Um, and, and there are so many opportunities to do that. So, uh, the IRS obviously is a huge one. That one is going to have a little bit more impact on congress forcing them to work within a much smaller budget um so maybe that's not the jenga the jenga game question um but that is definitely one of the first ones and then and then yeah there's so many others that we can do that with
0: mark what do you think yeah so there's
2: really there's really uh, you know two parts of of the government uh, dan dan talked about the alphabet agency so i'll talk about the the, uh, the the Bill of Rights part, and, and I'll talk, well, actually, I'll talk about Article 1, Section 8. I'll talk about war powers, because that's really in my lane. I've said that something really, really simple I can do as president is I can sign the Rome Statute so that the United States is a party uh, to that treaty, and what that does is that puts U.S. officials and nationals on notice that if they commit war crimes, they are subject to the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court. The Obama administration went out of its way to make sure that doesn't happen, And the reason the United States is the only country in the world that is able to bomb other countries that have never attacked it with impunity is because our officials are not subject to the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court. So as president, I would sign the Rome Statute as soon as I could. I would do it personally. And and you would see this aggressive war come to an end and trillions of dollars of expenses uh, would immediately be cut and the military would be used uh, to... You know, if somebody is shooting missiles at you there in Pittsburgh, John, well, by God, me and my Secretary of Defense, Dan Berman, we're going to be there for you. But otherwise, you're not going to hear from us.
0: <laughs> I like it. All right, guys. Well, that's pretty much a wrap. Let's just do a quick closing statement. And you can plug your, uh, your websites and all that stuff. So uh, we'll close up with Mark first.
2: Dan, thanks a lot. This has been a, actually a really great debate. Dan's a friend of mine. Uh, we've, we've had a chance to talk many times on the debate circuit. Uh, he's one of the good ones out there, in my opinion. Uh, this has been a real pleasure. You did a great job hosting tonight, John. Mark at markwhitney.com is my email. Markwhitney.com is the website. I do a show uh, uh, seven days a week on Facebook called Live at Five. It's going to be five days a week, Sunday through Thursday, starting this week, because I, I need a couple of days a week to do other things besides that show. And uh, uh, I just want to say to the people listening, uh, if you thought everybody should run for president once in their life, uh, if you get a chance, it's it's uh, and I I don't mean that facetiously. In this party, you can actually do it. It's the most fun you can have with your clothes on
0: (laughs) and also keep
2: banging. Yeah.
0: All right, Dan. Um,
1: yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I want to thank you, John, uh, for putting this together. Uh, Mark, thanks for doing this. Uh, yeah, you're, you're also up there, uh, on the top of my list. I, I think what you're doing is great. I think you've really got some great positions. Um, uh, you know, I, th- I think your position on defending the second and first amendments, um, everyone should know the bill of rights and, and especially the ninth and 10th, 10th am- amendments, which not too many people are familiar oh, with. The ninth amendment is huge. Nobody knows yeah, anything about it. We, yeah. They should have made that number one. Uh, yeah. In my opinion, um, but but yeah, this is this is. I, I really think we are. Uh, we do need. We are facing a cultural shift. We, we need to get people to fundamentally change, um, at large, the public at large, to fundamentally change um, their perception of what the government is, um, because it's yeah, government can do some good things, but it also does a lot of evil things. We don't need to get rid of the whole thing. We do need to get rid of a lot of the useless waste and evil. Uh, programs that it has. And there are a lot of them and that's going to make everybody's life so much better. Um, So that's really what I'm fighting for. My website is Berman2020.com. And that has links to all my social media and a lot of information on the platform and some awesome videos you can watch.
0: All right. Sounds good. Thank you both gentlemen. This was a uh, great conversation. I keep seeing it in the comments. People really enjoyed this discussion. So uh, thank you both.
2: Great. Thanks, John. Great job tonight.
0: Good night. You guys have a good one. Take care, you guys. Bye-bye. See ya.